When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. What's good, Internet? It is Monday, December 4th, not whatever I said a second ago, November <laughs> November 7th, something like that. Uh, you are listening to Waypoint Waypoint Radio, episode 118, coming to you from, from all over America. Joining me today, Danielle Riendo. Hi, I'm not from too far away in America. No, but, you're the closest you know. person to where I am currently. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, Patrick Klepek. Yeah, I guess I'm here. You're here. Rob Zachney, also here. Hey, what's up, everybody? Why are you only, only kind of here or whatever, Patrick? I just, I feel like you need to earn it. You know, I mean, this like the rest of this group. Like, I feel like I'm non-committal right now. Like, I'm here. I'm ready. But, you know, what we'll you, see wait, how it goes. Wait, wait, wait. How do I need to earn what do we, what do you? What do I need to do to We're earn gonna it? We're going to see how good the podcast is going to be, you know? Like, I you're just, part of the podcast. It's going to be good if you're here. I didn't, I didn't say I wasn't going to participate, but, like, what if I'm putting in 75 and it just feels like collectively it's a 25? Like, I don't know, maybe I'll bring uh. it back a little bit. You're the reason that that waitresses <laughs> don't get paid well because this is your like this is there's no collective What's tipping because of you. You're the one. You're the one oh who is God. like that was a like, that was a, a that was a, a grand leap you made there that I'm stiffing. <laughs> no, 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 no. Sorry, it's the same attitude that oh, I've heard. Mm. I grew up in and around lots of restaurants, I um, do lots hate of diners. I thought it was more the back of house people that get screwed on. They tips. do get screwed on tips, but the thing that happens a lot is one of the reasons that waitresses won't pull their tips mm. to make sure that everybody. gets gets a decent cut is because you get one or two people who are like and not just waitresses servers i shouldn't say waitresses servers uh you'll get like someone who is like i worked my ass off today i did i earned this tip i'm like they, they let me be clear every server who works food service like has worked their ass off absolutely like, even people you might be like that person's lazy that's because you're seeing them after working their fucking ass off and they're exhausted um the but like that one person may have just gotten lucky and gotten the person who just like came into a bunch of money and dropped a 20 as a yeah, tip they got a for, bonus you know? that day Woo! right Exactly. So that, it's not. Let's let's also be honest about like how, especially with like waitressing and it like the most conventionally attractive people tend to get tipped better. So like it's, there's a complete unfairness true. there as well. Like and that's it's fucked. That's a thing. That's a I'm real thing. Saying. You can work your ass off ten times as hard, but you know if somebody's Fucking... like ridiculously good looking they might get the same tips so that ain't I'm, fair either exactly i'm just saying patrick i thought you were part of the welcome to the hashtag resistance but it sounds like you're, you're part of the it sounds like you're you're the one who's going to benefit from this terrible tax bill <laughs> <laughs> but, 
Does anyone know who's going to benefit from this tax no. bill? I saw this morning that they accidentally wrote it wrong and like a bunch of tor- corporate tax cuts didn't get into the bill. Which is the oh, whole that's amazing. Oh, no. Are you fucking serious? Uh, I, I don't know. It's hard to, you don't know. Yeah. Uh, they can't I'm not going to do this. Over properly. I have oh, had God. actually uh, uh, recently like various people who have come to do some work on my home have been the benefit of uh, uh, l- extremely large generous tips because I went to the bank and just got like large denomination of bills right. and had no mm-hmm. way to break it. And it was just like, all right, this is not a $20 tip, but it is today. I hope, to, <laughs> I'm like, I, ho- I hope I'm not setting unrealistic expectations for the next time you come back here, but you can take this 20. Oh, <laughs> that always kind of feels all right though. Like I, I yeah. do my best to tip well when I have like just gotten paid or like when I have it, you know what I mean? Like if I got it for, for whatever reason, if I've just gotten like birthday money or if I got through the holidays and an aunt sent me a check for more money than she probably should have written me a check for or whatever, you know, it's like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go from 20% to 30% on this. That sounds all right. Like, you know what? Have a good day. Try to pass, you know, spread the, spread the love, pay it forward, all the other uh, little, little aphorisms to live by. Um, so I come into some money. Did you? I did. I did. And all it took was having my car destroyed. <laughs> Rob, what? What? Rob. Uh, yeah, so uh, remember like a month or so ago, um, uh, my partner was in a car accident. She's mostly fine. Yes, I remember um, this. Yeah. I'm glad uh, well, that she's mostly fine. I'm, I hope yeah. it's more like I hope yeah. it's even we totally to fine. We're, too. we're working. Yeah. We're we're at mostly. We're working towards uh, you know 100. percent But gotcha. right now we've been at mostly for a little while, uh, which is way better than you know kinda, uh, which is what we had uh, probably in the weeks after the accident. But uh, anyway, the car is totaled, uh, which naturally was the car that was paid off. Uh, so Aww. I have very mixed feelings because yeah. like yeah. I'm holding like. A pretty like what what for me feels like kind of an enormous check, <laughs> but also I don't have that car anymore. And also the car that, I didn't have to pay for. Right. And also, what if this tax bill gets through, and then that's the last money you ever have in your life, right? Because <laughs> they've taken I, the rest from you. Yeah. Like really, I need to convert this into like uh, mineral wealth. Yes. Uh, to be honest, <laughs> land rights might be good too if you could find a good mm. mine to set up shop with. <gasps> Um, and then like start something doing some clean coal. I feel like they, there's yeah, clean I mean, coal. I feel like Massachusetts good. clean coal, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Massachusetts, known as it is, for, for its wealth in coal. Clean, clean coal. That's and cranberries. Thing, they, they haven't yeah. discovered it yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly it, Danielle. You're gonna go out to the cranberry uh, bogs, bogs or whatever yeah. and start digging okay. under the cranberries, hiding under the cranberries. There's they got coal. Uh huh. Delicious, delicious it cranberry burns coal. Clean and smells like cranberries. You know it's good. It's like antioxidants in the air. It's, oh, it's see, so exactly. good for you. That's how you fix the global warming problem. Yep. Get those antioxidants up there. They'll repair the ozone layer, uh, and it'll be delicious. I uh, I I wanted to briefly mention I have not come into some money, but I've come into something even better than money, which is cat. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say cash. I thought you were making yeah, a distinction yeah. between money no! and cash. Came into something better than money. Cash. cash. You have a cat? You have a new cat? I rescued a little cat last night. I don't know if I'm going to keep her, but she's really pretty and awesome. And I just wanted to share that news because she's making me yet? very happy. She might be named Koga, but we're still working on it. I, I heard that the cat was originally named uh, Goaty Near. 
Yes. Uh, Actually, a friend of the show, Amanda, was like, Danielle, Danielle. Because she helped to rescue it. This this whole sure. thing was our, our friend, also friend of the show, Joel's idea. Like, he well, met the cat. Let's not stretch found her. friend of the show. Like, wow. Oh, oh, boy. Joel and I went to Australia together. That's right. When we, you were, like, we're 14 or something, yeah, right? We were, yes. As youngins. Yes. As babies. So, I think friend of the show. I'm going to extend it to Joel. Not Waypoint Joel. Different Joel. Joel I was going to say, Joel. I was very confused for a second. Different there. Joel. Like, yeah, different Rob. Joel. <laughs> yeah. This is the same no. Joel who did the I'm a thirsty little hero tweet. Though, okay, that's clear, true. So. That's, that's true. <laughs> Not Whatever. a friend. friend he's a friend of the show and this cat because he helped. Uh, he was the one who found this cat. This was in his neighborhood. And he was unable to house this cat because his cat has feline HIV. So you can't, you know, you can't expose that right. cat to anything, any potential things. But I've got healthy little cats and a spare room. Well, it's my office, but still, we're sharing. Wait, I have okay. a roommate. <laughs> I thought you were like, I have a cat room that I've never talked about on this podcast. A room no, for I mean, cats alone. How much money do you think I have? <laughs> yeah, I, don't I don't have a cat room. Money, apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I live uh, in Bushwick, but still. Well, like. But yeah, you're, the thing is you're secretly rich. And so moving into Bushwick means you can now get an extra apartment uh, bedroom. I have three apartment cats. buildings in Bushwick. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some, yeah, fuck. Uh, what's the, so what's the cat like? What, describe she's this cat. Paint me a, a picture. a calico cat. She's very okay. small. She's actually only a little bit bigger than Ori, which is uh, about seven pounds. Uh, I took her to the vet early today. And uh, she looks pretty healthy, uh, but we're making sure that she doesn't have anything. And we're going back in a couple days. She meows a lot, and she's uh-huh. really big on head rubs and headbutts and purring and kneading. She's real into all those things. That sounds great. I want to. Yeah, that sounds great. She's a friend really of mine good. offered me a cat two days ago, oh, and I really? had to like I had to do the thing of like being an adult and taking honest stock of my life and being like. I couldn't take care of a cat right now. Like, I'm oh. sorry, I can't do it. But oh. I thought about it. I thought hard about it. Austin hasn't learned how to be a blogger. How are you going to take care of a cat? E- exactly. <laughs> That's exactly true. Listen, can't I have to live my life. If I was living my life in the blogger life still, where it was like, <laughs> oh, I'm just going to write 300 words in, in 30 minutes and, like, knock it out and hit hit post. And, then and, I think not, I could and have... not think twice about it. Right, exactly. <laughs> then I think I could have a cat. But I can't because every time I try to write 300 words, I instead have a three-hour meeting. And so, like, yeah. let's be honest. I'm not there. I'm not there. I'm not ready for, for that cat life. Austin, the cat, the cat will enrich your life. Life in so many ways well, this your is heart why will grow no i've Three had sizes. a cat it's just the thing is like i've i have not had my own solo pet for a long time and so i've always had the the good luck of having a roommate with a cat or yeah. a parent with a cat or something yeah. or a partner with a cat and so it's always been like oh i don't need to be the one who's on the clock like yeah of course i'll feed the cat if i'm home in my and whoever whoever owns the cat isn't around i'll take care of it in lieu of somebody else not being able to but i can't be the primary caregiver of a cat i'm not Wait, there what about yet. that robot litter box we yeah, have, you have one, one of those, those. yeah, okay, yeah that's the only work like... you have to do no you have to you no know, that's not true you have to play with a cat like you have to you have to be there you have to be there for an animal and like when i'm coming home at 10 p.m. or whatever like I don't want to not be around for this cat for 12 hours a day. You know, like if I'm going to get get a new cat, I want to be around that cat. That's all. This is like the opening of a heartwarming holiday movie where like, you know, he's a big (laughs) shot New York editor. (laughs) Cut to Austin be like, I don't have time for a cat. I couldn't be there for a cat. That's not the life I have. And then like a little like theme from the Nutcracker Suite like plays over it. But then on Christmas Eve... And then it's like Danielle's calico kitten. 
Yeah, and she's wearing like a little Santa hat, and she just yeah. comes in meowing adorably, yeah. and she goes right into your lap and starts kneading in your lap and looking up at you like. Yeah, that's I love great. You. I would love, I love that. You. All of this is great as long as you take the cat back at the end of the night, so that <laughs> I don't have any expectation uh, or responsibility. I already have a lot. Cut of Cut to a scene of Austin running through an airport, shouting, <laughs> "You can't take that cat back! Bring me back!" Game of the Year, Giant Mecca. That's my favorite. That's my. That's what I'm gonna name this cat, Goaty Mecca. God. Speaking of of games of the year, can we talk about video games? Have people been playing video games? I have. Any? Have you? Have you been playing? I'm super ready for the game of the year discussion. Oh yeah, why? Which game have you been playing? I've been playing Dead Space One. Fuck you. Everyone, everyone else, like taking stock of like, hmm, like what get, with my precious free time, what games can I squeeze in to see I, if I hold any time at the end of the year? Rob Zachney, hmm, maybe I should play some more Dead Space One from ten years ago. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's the time is the time is right uh, for <laughs> someone to reconsider this game and with, uh, like, really d- put did it in dark. context. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and really put it in our uh, modern context. And besides, somebody on this website wrote something about Dead Space and said it was a hell of a game, hell of a series. And so I was like, I should look into this. Wait, who wrote that? Not... Was that was that you? Did that you write me. that? That was, was you. Patrick, yeah. I wrote that. Yeah. Good and job. So, Thanks, Patrick. I, and I'm here to say Dead Space 1 is 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 pretty all right. Uh, I, I mean, it's not ringing endorsement. <laughs> Back of the box quote. It's well, look. I think to say it's more than like pretty all right is probably overstating it uh, just a little bit. Like it is so. Dead Space One has like played all the other like abandoned space station horror games that have ever been made, mm-hmm. and is basically just remixing them like together. Sure. And trying to make them a little bit easier and a little bit, like, more accessible, right? Like, that's how every scene in this game feels is, like, well, you shouldn't actually have to worry too much about survival. You should, like, it, it's it's more of a haunted house approach to, like, the, uh, you know, derelict space station shooter than an actual, like, survival horror game. Yeah, the uh, the second. I mean, the the, the, in the Dead Space uh, series, like, the Alien to Aliens comparison is, like, super apt with, like, the arc of that series like the the original dead space is is very alien it's a little uh not that the original alien is like a haunted house movie but like it's the original dead space is more tense and quiet and like building to things and then like shocks you um whereas like dead space 2 is the very much james cameron like fucking you're just gonna be shooting shooting limbs off every left and right Mm -hmm. they're both they're both good games for different reasons i got a lot of uh, debates with Brad Shoemaker about this, and where he is very much a Dead Space Two person, I was very much a Dead Space One person. And this is, it was not because I thought this Dead is... Space Two was bad; it was just more right. like like it, it, it. That's why I always find like the alien aliens like conversation to right. be a useful framing because it just says more about your preferences than it does actually to say anything about the quality of like either of those films. I think it's also the Mass Effect yeah. Mass Effect Two framing. Yes, hundred like, percent. It is. It is like there's so much in 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 each of those things where it's like oh I'm so interested in this new world in in this atmosphere in this tone more than like the shooting is super good you know and I'm not saying the shooting isn't the shooting is, improved the shooting is bad okay uh, in this game like something I do like about this game and it's it sort of goes along with that theme of uh, what I was talking about with Zombie U last week is that. A lot of enemies like this, a lot of games like this, like if they get too repetitive, the horror starts to drain out of the experience a little bit because, like, once the answer is like, look, just if you've got ammo, just shoot that thing. Like, mm-hmm. oh, it's a scary monster, fucking shoot it. 
at that point, it's not really a scary monster anymore, right? It's really tough to sustain that, and, and most games that work that way uh, don't. I think the nifty thing about Dead Space uh, 1 is that that entire, like, enemy design of, like, you have to cut off their limbs, like, piece by piece with your, like, plasma torch or whatever, and sort of, like, you know, blow off a leg and hobble them and then deliver the coup de grace and blow off a couple other uh, limbs. What's really cool is that is a really simple and straightforward and easy to understand task, but when the game starts to try and overwhelm you, mm-hmm. um, it becomes pretty t- tense and terrifying because you you need to land that shot every time and it's not an easy shot to land especially because all the weapons have like radically different firing traits sure and so there is a really cool like the, i think my favorite thing about this game in fact is like when everything is just like when you're starting to get overwhelmed and like you know the monsters are pouring in from all over there is this really great and deadly and terrifying like dance you have to perform to get through the encounter, right? Of like you have to like you know two steps back, shoot the limb, turn left, engage the other monster, and you have to like slowly just like you know again use space, use time, figure out like you know which enemies can be slowed down, which ones can be brought down entirely, and which ones can be killed immediately. It's it's cool, like it. The concepts are straightforward, but the game can keep sort of throwing these encounters in there that force you to reappraise how you're going about the same task. There are a few games that also, like the shooting of those games, I have not revisited them in a number of years, but uh, my recollection uh, being that the, the the shooting and combat were so satisfying because of the actionable consequences you got from individual shots, which is just especially not the case in most... Or, like, I'm playing through Evil Within 2, a game that I'm enjoying quite a bit. But often, when you're fighting an enemy, it's just a bullet sponge. And you're just waiting till you hit mm-hmm. that, like, magical HP counter that's being calculated <laughs> in the background for that thing to drop. And what was made Dead Space so satisfying was that, yes, there were was a, an element of, of, you know, hitting it till it died. But the idea that you were weakening it by, like, cutting off certain, like, elements of the monster gave you a satisfying... Uh, element of like the the early and mid combat sequence with an individual mm-hmm. creature, as opposed to most horror or most even just action games being like there's just a beginning and an end. Like you begin uh-huh. shooting and you shoot till they fall. And Dead Space did this really smart, interesting thing where it was like, well, what about like what if things happened in the middle of that that you actually felt were satisfying? That wasn't just about the the death of the creature and that that loop like never got old, um, even as the series got a, a little weird and strange and bad towards the end. <laughs> Also, I just kind of like how wet it is. It's it's got a real grindhouse. Go like, on to oh. the entire thing. Uh huh. Like it's like the game doesn't have a really strong aesthetic, but like there are a lot of like sloppy, bloody, meaty jib sounds that like permeate this game oh, yeah. in a way that like. <laughs> Few games go for this as much anymore. It's kind of like goofy and fun to return to this era where someone's like, "How do we make it scary?" Right. And someone was like, "Well, you know the sound that like when you drop a pork shoulder on the floor, <laughs> like that's our game." Oh, wait, 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 wait. Like, who's dropping pork shoulders on the ground? 
I don't know. Sometimes you just you're you get your hands all slippery while you're trying to. I I want to have enough money that I'm just (laughs) fucking going into my kitchen and like I'm dropping pork shoulders today. Look, the the last time I dropped a pork shoulder on the floor was uh, because I I was sending myself to the emergency room. A a a knife slipped and I've been I've been trying to sort of debone a pork shoulder (laughs) with. a slightly Fuck. dull knife, and oh. it was slippery, and it was again pretty wet sharp. and meaty. God, uh, mm, very and, dead spacey. Yeah, yeah, and then I just like went right into my thumb, and then I was think... like, "Yowch!" Oh. Drop, and it went. That pop. was like player experience goal. Like the designers <laughs> of <laughs> of this game were actually doing this. They were cutting themselves by trying to debone Jesus pork Christ. shoulder, and they were like, uh, so "I thought you were going game. somewhere else. I thought you were going to like." <laughs> Do you think a player experience goal was we're going to have sound design and visual design such that players remember their own, like, stitches, their own, like, cutting themselves by mistake in the kitchen, and, like, we're going to evoke that? No, you went all the way to are the designers giving themselves low-key trauma (laughs) to get at the sound of grossness? People suffer for their art, Austin. Yeah, I know. know. They don't need to go that far. God. I mean, I agree. I don't want them to. (laughs) I just... I'm just saying... Everyone at Visceral just running around with, like, Sentoku knives, yeah. like, over their head, like, trying to play, like, catch Fuck. the filet. I mean, I guess it is called, it was called Visceral Studios, right? Yeah. So, sure I was. mean, God. Uh, Patrick, by the way, how is how is uh, Evil Within 2 shaking out? Do I need to play that game? Because I kind of want to play that game. I don't know that you need to play the whole game, but the first couple of hours, like, to give you a sense of, like, what it's, like, yeah. the world it's playing with and, and the changes it makes fundamental to the first game, like, would give you... It would give you enough to be like, oh, I see why people like responded to this game in a way that they didn't respond to uh, the first one. Because I mean, I played the first one and liked certain elements of it, but I, yeah. I think the sequel, you know, as we've talked about before and I've written about before, really does a just a tremendous job of highlighting, uh, or playing up the strengths of the original game and playing down the weaknesses of of the game. And like, what's really fun about the second half of uh, uh, the game, I mean, that's sort of like the last third or so, is that it just really leans into the B movie nature of it. Like, what part of part of my issue with some of the storytelling in, uh, and this is actually just more like Mikami style, um, you know, going uh, back into the Resident Evil series, is like sometimes like the hokiness is played for self-serious in a way that can work, where like the self-seriousness is part of the fun, but mm. the original Evil Within often felt like it was being self-serious in a way that it, I don't know if, I couldn't tell if they were being humorously self-serious or if they were like i didn't it was bad like i didn't like the story it was like a bad b movie where i was like do they think they're telling high art and they actually don't realize that they're making like a shitty horror film uh whereas evil within 2 just really leans into sort of the b movie nature of it and has fun with that and uh i mean there's a i don't know if people have seen the um the tweet that went around uh, around the time the game came out, but like there's, you know, there, like there's a conversation where they start making conversations about like beware of the evil within, and then the characters look at the camera to like <laughs> wink and nod at the audience. Like it's it it's it's really the game does a good job of straddling that line, and it's it has fun with itself in a way that uh, the original game uh, did not. And uh, yeah, I continue to. To enjoy it quite a bit, it's uh, it's, it's definitely probably going to end up in one of my favorite games of the year, um, and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing the sort of the the latter third of it. It's uh, it's goofy in all the right ways, and I continue to to like sneaking around and shanking and shanking things. Yeah, <laughs> good, great, I need awesome. To play that. I, yeah, I, I, I need started to, uh, in. I played like the first hour or so, and I was very intrigued. And then I don't know, something else came out and distracted me. And yeah, it sounds like 2017. Oh, 
I think it's one of those I'm games. I'm finishing most games this year. I'm actually finishing most of the games that I'm playing this year. So that's something. But yeah. Well, that's yeah. part of the reason, Danielle, I went back to it was because yeah. like I had like this this moment where that was among a number of games, including like Mario and Rabbids, where I like made it like a good yeah. chunk of the way through and then just had to move on to something else. And right. rather than obsessing over playing a bunch of other games, I was like, why don't I go back to the games that I knew I liked and I am pretty sure there's going to end up like on a list or something I'm going to want to advocate for at the end of the year and like spend more time with those. So it's like, I I need to finish the last like, like round or two of, of Mario and Rabbids. And it's like, I literally have like two more fights in that game that I just need to go back and do. Like, that's why I went back and finished Pyre. That's why I went back and finished. uh, I've got to do that. I've got to finish Pyre recently. Something else. Oh, like golf story and stuff like that. Uh So it's like, I need to finish evil within, which I'll definitely finish this week. I'm trying to think. There's, I was, I was like going through my list of games this year. My next one is Hollow Knight. I need to at least try it's Hollow Knight. Good. Yeah. I'm just waiting. I I, at this point, too. I won't You're... be able to put in the time with that game. Like I yeah. know I'm going to love that game, but I'm not going to be able to put in the time that I that I need to. So I'm just waiting for. The, I wish the Switch version was coming out this year because so then I would have just then I would have just said, okay, I can find the time to do this on a Switch. I just don't know that I can find yeah. the time to do it. Um, that's why I finished Observer. Observer was the other game that I went back. Yes. Oh, should I play Observer? Uh, you yes. should play Observer. I think um, <laughs> it's it's it, you're kind of speeding through it. It's uh, like four to six hours. Like it's not okay. a huge lift. It's like it, it is a game that if you had an afternoon, you could start it and finish it uh, in, in the same day with uh, with a, with a little break. And uh, yeah, it is. Uh, I did not like Layers of Fear. Very much at all, which was That's the, the painter one, right? Yes, it was uh, yeah. made, made by uh, Blooper Team, which yep. uh, one, not a fan of that name. <laughs> I don't, no, like, you don't like you don't like Blooper it kinda, Team. It seems to undercut like the or maybe on maybe on purpose. I think it's maybe Blooper. I think it's with a B at the end. Too. It's whatever Blooper. it is. It's neither <laughs> is, is great. Uh, but Observer, I think, is a just a really like the the world they build and paint um, is uh, like the main story in that game didn't do a whole lot for me. Um, like the, the general structure of the game is that you're going around and talking to people in different, uh, in this apartment complex mm. and the conversations you have with the different people give you a lot of these like really just like mini stories about what it is to be in this like dark, horrible future. And those little mini stories I thought were just like, just really good and dark and fucked up in a way that I found, uh, really satisfying. And, uh, also, uh, it is going to be a game that, because its nature of being a horror uh, game, uh, that just means most people are not going to play it. Like, just horror games are like just a certain right, corner of the right. market. A few games break through, like a Resident Evil or something like that. But the art direction, like some of the sequences in that game, have some of the most incredible like art direction I have seen in a game all all year. Like, it is some of the stuff that happens, Danielle. Like in sort of the nightmare sequences are just. I mean it. It, they look like art pieces. Like it yeah. is, it is just it's gorgeous in a really uh, gothic and uh, gross. Not even gross. It's not actually. It's not a gory game. I don't want to give people that. Uh, well, it's it is more like of a, a tiny bit, but it, but it's, it's not. Less, it's less the focus. It's, it's yeah, it's, used to good effect. Yeah. Uh, it, it picks and chooses. It's not all. Yeah. It, you could play Observer, and I I hesitate to call it a horror game because it, it very few jump scares. It is often actually not that's scary it's more tense i think thriller mm. is like a more appropriate category for a game like that so i think if you're you find yourself uh scared off from horror games like observer like i think is a, a game that a lot of people that normally aren't into jump scares and things like that you could get into because i think the story is fine and there, there are very few actual uh, right, jump scares right. but yeah uh, yeah observer good game cool. uh danielle recommended that for for good reason yeah i'm trying to think of like, what else is on my list at this point like i i i put 
20 hours into Xenoblade Chronicles 2 at this you point. You did. I watched um, it on that stream. I like that game. Or I... Um, Xenoboob Chronicles Team, 2. There, it is Boomer? It is a very fan service game. Xenoboober, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Xenoblade, which is Latin for strange boob, I think. Um, uh, the It is... It is it is one of those. It is exactly in that category of game where one, it feels like it's a it's a seven out of ten. We don't do numbered scores on, on anything we write that's even close to a review. But if we did, this would be such a seven out of ten in the best possible way. In the like, for in fans the, like, of the genre, yeah. Like and and the thing that's interesting is I think it actually does genre in a really broad way. Like it is it is for fans of the genre that is eighty hour action RPGs <laughs> or whatever, or like RPGs, uh, you know, of this type, which is like huge grand scale, lots of exploration, lots of collectibles, a ton of side quests. Like people who love hashtag content in their video games, there is a lot of content here. But also fans of the genre of um kind of maximizing efficiency in RPGs of like figuring out the perfect build, figuring out your best rotation of abilities. There's lots of like layered uh, systems that go on top of each other that range well, from it's like an MMO combat, right? It like, is like which, MMO which combat. Is why, which is why like I, I've always found these worlds incredibly intriguing. Yeah. And then the moment I play them, I go, I hate this style of so combat. It's I, why I don't yeah, play MMOs. Yeah. And it, it just, that, it bums me out. They're, they're, it ends up getting really involved and they actually unfold it in a very slow and steady way. I actually think the pacing in this game is fairly good. Um, and I say that I say that knowing that I'm 20 hours in and just got another tutorial. Oh god. Um, but that is like but that is actually the thing to think about it is that the way it does it is actually very much like a class or like a, a course, like a college course where what they do is they say like all right, you start the game, here's auto attack, here are some basic abilities. That's it for the first, like, three hours, right? You learn how to fight stuff. You learn how to, like, use your special abilities. And, and that is it. That's all you have to worry about. You don't have any AI partners who you control. Like, they just do their own thing. They attack next to you. And then, eventually, you unlock, like, a uh, uh, one of their, just, like, special weapons that gives you, like, a... This whole game is about collecting blades, which are people. They're like weapons that are also people. It's like Pokemon if Pokemon were also robots or ladies with big boobs. Um, those are the two categories. Also like animals. Sometimes it's like an animal, like a tiger or like a robot tiger. Um, I've not seen any animals that have big boobs yet, except for that weird that owl? owl. There is that owl. There is that owl. Um, the, um, Would you say she's got big hooters? It's actually a guy. Oh, I think it's a he. And I think, he yes, he has big hooters. Thank you. He is an owl. Um, the uh, so like then you get one of those and you learn how to use those abilities and then at the end of like another hour sequence they teach you how to do the super move and then they like bring you into the open world and give you a bunch of side quests to do and you like really start to learn the the rhythm of that basic structure and at the end of that chapter they un they unlock another system of like chaining together super moves and then they give you another like three hours with that and you get comfortable using that and and. and building a rotation around building up these super moves that you can use. And then they add another layer on top of that. But by the time that that... So it's like a billion layers. If we just try to show the game 20 hours in, it's like, this is nonsense. Like, why the fuck does it say topple steam on the screen right now? And in my mind, I'm like, oh shit, yeah, I can use the topple ability and then hit steam. And I'm like, da 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 But I wouldn't have known... I, there's just like no way they could have taught you the depth of the combat system within that first hour. And so I actually think that the the like 
at the end it's also just it is also just for fans of the genre the anime genre the like ridiculous shonen like hot-blooded young kid goes out to save the world genre uh, and it delivers on that shit in a way that very few games including jrpgs i've played do in that like every the end of every chapter is this like hyper climactic the like the music is swelling uh, a character has like surrounded themselves read themselves in, in magical flame and like it it gets really intense and then that in that moment is when they unfold the new tutorial for the new ability and they go like all right here's a new thing you can do we're just going to fill up all of your meters we're going to let you be as powerful as possible for this fight because that's what the story is the story is you've unlocked this new power try it out and then win the fight and it's actually like really cool to see the game being willing to like put pause hit pause in a sense on the narrative to explain the system and be like listen you're here to have a good time we're here to have a good time you just watch this ridiculous anime cutscene. here's a new super move have fun and like it, it has been working for me and it kind of fits into the like destiny space of my life which is like oh, i'm gonna actually be watching something else i'm actually going to be podcast listening to a podcast except for when a cutscene starts or something like that so um I take all that with a grain of salt, which is, like, I think that this game kind of treats ladies like shit. Like, it's super objectifying. It is, like, lots of the camera being framed entirely on boob and nothing else. Um, I, I, that's not, like, I think that's probably underselling it to some degree. There are, there are lots of women characters who do have lots of interesting things going on. I think that a lot of the character designs are actually really brilliant, and the, 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 uh, the costume design and the settings are gorgeous, and, like, it all takes place on these giant continents that are living, walking gods, um, a lot like the first Xenoblade, which had these kind of two gods stuck in, like, kind of stasis that you walked around. Um, so it's gorgeous. It's, like, a really gorgeous game, uh, and if, if you are a fan of, of any of the things I'm talking about, I think it's worth the time. Like, it kind of blows me away that Nintendo released this Zelda and Mario this year um, in terms of hitting a wide variety of of potential Switch owners. Um, I, it is like it is baffling to me that they that they put out three massive games of the, of of these qualities. Like, obviously, I don't think this is anywhere near as good as Breath of the Wild, but as far as like having a big meaty JRPG out the gate, it's it's one of those. Yes, yeah, it definitely runs nicely counter to the narrative that usually follows, you know, Nintendo yeah. hardware. Uh, and they yep. hit, like, a lot of different... I mean, there's a, a good chance you can like Breath of the Wild and dislike Super Mario Odyssey and or like Xenoblade Chronicles and not give a shit about those two other games. Like, that's, like, good on Nintendo for having, yeah. I mean, uh, hard to imagine, like, a stronger start software-wise uh, to a console. Like, like <sighs> it, you I know, Mario 64... Mario 64 is is was a good game, but also it was more uh, revolutionary. Like so, like that almost seems like you have to grade it slightly on a curve because that game is sort of like a like an like an asterisk. But right, uh, right. and also that was one game. Um, Where like, would to you have... put it on a list of 500 games? Oh my god. <laughs> Mm. Uh, <laughs> um, well, I, we're doing a thousand next year. That's it. We're gonna do a top thousand games. Five thousand. And it's gonna be. A... You got a game? It's on the list. <laughs> we're gonna proc gen the list and also all of the games. So no real go. games, all procedurally generated games. Uh, top five hundred. God, actually, I want some to Markov chain a new list based on uh, based on the Polygon 500 games list uh, wow. where they just generate new names, new game descriptions. Someone please do this. It would be so good. God. There's got to be a little bot somewhere, right? There's got to be a bot Somebody. somewhere. I was going to say also Splatoon. 
and even arms. Right, Splatoon 2, arms. For, you know, first party stuff. Like, they mm-hmm. they also had some weird stuff, which makes me happy. So Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, like, I think there's a lot of stuff that was that uh, the Switch has had a, an incredible year. I think, you know, we don't want to we don't want to cannibalize conversation. We'll be having in a couple of weeks over game of the year like stuff. But um, Switch of the year. Switch yeah. of the year goes to the Nintendo Switch for sure, a hundred percent. That's definitely what I'm thinking. Uh, yeah, goddamn. Okay, let's let's move on. Otherwise, we will just continue to talk about Switch games. Um, Danielle, have you been have you been playing anything? Well, some Switch games. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> um, well, Perfect. I've, I've, I've dived in a tiny bit to Battle Chef for Gay, but I know y'all talked about it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I finished Rabbids. I, I've been doing the thing, you know, that Patrick is talking about as well, uh, of just like going back and finishing stuff that I really enjoyed and have been, you know, had been playing. Uh, and, like, last year, in all of 2016, I think I only beat, like, one AAA game. And I think it was Tomb Raider. I, I did not beat most of the games I played last year. Right. This year, I was like, I you know, I played two games that, like, blew my face off that were really, like, two of the best games. Or, or my feelings for them were so strong uh, that it kind of revitalized my relationship to games a little bit. And so now I'm kind of like, no, I'm going to finish games now. This is the thing I'm going to do. So I finished mm-hmm. Rabbids and I finished Wolfenstein. Uh, this weekend and they were both really great and i know we've talked all of them to death so i don't want to go on too far uh but if you want to hear us talk to talk about wolfenstein to death let me tell you there's a podcast for that we've got a few hours on that (laughs) yeah you know um but but just just to touch on something patrick actually wrote today uh that scene who uh towards the end there with a certain um certain leader and a certain uh let's not even talk about it we 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 talked about it on that feed i don't want to i don't want to even hint at that what that scene is for people who don't want to hear it um uh, like only because it's such a fucking good sequence yeah no i I wasn't gonna spoil anything i'm just saying it is a game that does those tonal shifts beautifully and it actually makes you uh at least i think if you go in not knowing what it is it makes you uh, maybe even a little bit shocked more than once, and I think that is oh, yeah. a hell of a trick to pull off in a, it in a is, game like, that also is good and also has a lot of emotional resonance. Right, like you can do shocking pretty easy. I think that's like yeah. it's it's one of those things you learn. For me, it's like one of those things I learned while I was going from being like a teenager to a young adult was like, oh, shocking isn't that hard. Like shocking no. only requires you understand what the norms are, and then like just do the other thing but shocking that actually works and that produces meaning that that like actually resonates and, and says something is actually really hard to do because you have to walk that line very carefully and i think that and game, that does, game that does it three really well times. like at least times. at least three times depends yeah. on what your norms are because there's true. a lot in there <laughs> true. um so yeah yeah i think if you want to hear us talk more about that go to the, the wolfenstein uh spoiler cast because we dig in on that one yeah and um, that's the, the scene that that uh danny alludes to I, I wrote a big piece about it uh that went up on the site today yeah you should read that because it's real good yeah totally um anybody else playing anything rob you said mafia you dip- three okay yeah! <laughs> <laughs> you're a year you're a year late you're a year late that game was great Game of 2016, game of 2017. Okay, maybe? no, we can't yeah. just Can we lift... stop. No, stop. I no. like it. It's good. We Games both like services it. Now you can put it on your list. We're not going. No one's going to yeah, stop you. you. I want to be clear. You can put whatever the fuck you want on your games of 20. Your personal list. Put Mafia Three on there. Put it on there ten times. I don't know. I'll read it. I'll help you make it the best version of that shitty article. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I'll help you. I'm there with Judgment. you, pal. Oh. But but we can't. Are you, you actually playing Mafia 3? 
Yeah. <laughs> Rob, what do you do? What do you do with your spare time? I play the games I want to play. He's living his best life. Fuck yeah! Fucking clearly. Fucking clearly. <laughs> oh look, look. After I after I like you know cranked through Call of Duty. Uh, All I was four like, and a half I hours. Play, I need to play fun games that <laughs> like I actually want to play. It's true. Oh, God, I look at No Man's Sky every day, and I think I could play more of that game, but I shouldn't oh, because you... no one cares. Yeah, but hold on, No Man's Sky. There's nothing to go back to there. They added that update that's really good, and I never finished it. You looked at it for five minutes, and you're like, eh. No, that's not true. I put stuff. I put like five hours into it. I put like a bunch of hours. I'm in the middle of that story mode. I just never went back and finished it. It's on my list of things I would you love sh- You showed a scene finish. that was a ripoff of that Kojima trailer they showed like two years ago, and I was like, mm, doesn't seem like. <laughs> Wait, what are you thinking about? <laughs> Wait, what game are you talking no about? You said Kojima. No Man's Sky. Yeah, No Man's Sky. Yeah, and what's what's the Kojima thing? The the trailer that he Dead released? Strand, Death Stranding, Death Stranding. Yeah, Does don't show. They, doesn't No Man's Sky literally literally didn't you show a scene in No Man's Sky about like there being hovering angels like flying? Oh in all yeah, parts? sure, sure. There's like a sequence from that. That wasn't the original thing. The thing that the thing that's great is this like actual new story mode. That I'm not getting into No Man's Sky. I'm not being tricked to talk about this game yes, that I are. haven't played in two no. months. I'm going to finish it. I'm going to try to finish that story mode before the end of the year because I need to know if it's on my list. That's all I'm saying. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. All right. All right. I've been we playing should... something from 2017. I played some Endless Space too. Oh, nice. Have you only been playing games space in the title? Like, like oh, Dead know. Space and oh. Mafia Space. Mafia Space, yeah. <laughs> Mafia Space Three. I would, I, yeah, I would play, Maf- I play Mafia jam. Four in space. Yeah. I would so. Oh my god! If Mafia Four took place in space, it'd be so good. What if Mafia Four was Prey Two, the original Prey Two, <gasps> wow. the bounty hunting Prey Two? Oh my god! With so the beanie. Yeah. yeah, you were Lincoln Clay, but you were now Lincoln Clay, space bounty hunter, and also Holy that guy from the CIA is helping you, but he's in the space CIA. Jack Donovan? Right, because after Jack the Donovan. end of Mafia 3, they're like, you're wanted for crimes on right. Earth. On Earth, yeah, but only on Earth. Gotta run. And also Jack yeah. Donovan is like J-A-K. Like, it's like Jack and Daxter. And also oh. Jack Donovan is a place of Jack from Jack and Daxter. <laughs> Let us make video games, Sony. Come on. We got the money. Um, or we don't have the money. Sorry, the thing we have is the ideas. You have the money. Send us. We're going to the question bucket. No, I'm we have done. the money ideas. That's that's what you <sighs> meant there. That is what I meant exactly. We're gonna really qu- unless you have something to say about Endless Space Two, a game I actually do want to put time into, Rob. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I just wanted I just wanted credit for playing something from this calendar year. Okay. Since everyone is since everyone was so offended <laughs> that I was playing classics or not quite classics <laughs> but <laughs> notable increase for fans of the genre. Oh, fans of the genre offended say. by classics. God. Uh, yeah, Offended by Classics uh, episode title. Good. Uh, I got us three questions from the old question bucket today, and each one comes in from a mat. I did not do this intentionally. I just pulled three questions. Oh, the and trilogy. Asked, they got the Matt trilogy. First one Matt comes three. in from, from Matt Mitchell, 
who says, Dear Scott, what was the game experience that first got you hooked on trivia? Matt Mitchell from North Carolina stand up. Uh, well, Scott's not here today, but I did want to know, like, what were your youthful experiences with trivia games? Did you guys play, like, Trivia Pursuit? Did you do, like, did you do the thing of, like, going to a bar with, like, an uncle and playing pub trivia even though you were not old enough to drink yet? Wait, did you do that? Yeah, of course. What? <laughs> cut, cut, the common growing up experience. Of course. I Uncle was playing Trivia. Uncle Trivia. Yeah. Jeopardy, like, what was your trivia your trivia entry point? Mm, I So I didn't do a whole lot of that growing up in, uh, like, sort of my immediate family. But in uh, when I uh, married my wife, uh, we started every other year uh, splitting Thanksgivings and going to Ooh. visit her family uh, in Nebraska. And they are, like, just games people like that not not like right. tabletop like hardcore board but like yeah. like trivia like simple games that are like like are reasons for like the family to sit around the table and like not go do other things and so they just they have a whole closet full of like just like simple like trivia or other like sort of games to get and i've never had that like prior to going out there never had experience like my family didn't like play card game it was just not a thing that was part of like sort of like my immediate or even like Christmas, Thanksgiving, extended family culture. Like it wasn't until I met her family and then just like would do like a complete 180 whiplash. It was like, what <laughs> if like you had one family that gave no shits about games? And then what if you had a family that the only thing they gave a shit about was games? And it's, it, it's, it's been, uh, it's a lot of fun because I ended up playing a lot of like weird, interesting uh, uh, trivia games. I couldn't even name them to you right, because right. we they they play them as until people get bored and just all right. Where's the next one? Like then try to keep people involved. Like, like, here's some like, more bush light. Like Roman emperors, but like just decadent board game devourers. I need more trivia. Give me the trivia. I mean, it is. It was like as soon as you start seeing people like kind of drift off, like you can tell like interest is like waning in the game. It's like. All right, get those motherfuckers a new game. All right, we'll just start from square one. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. I, actually, that's one of the things I look forward to the most is is going out there because uh, just that that's like the one time where I'm like, all right, like I'm not super into this stuff to like maybe just because it wasn't part of me growing up, but I look forward to like this condensed like four day period where like fucking all I do is like rack my brain for like trivia answers and other. Okay, yeah. And lots of games of chance. Like that's also the thing is like the other like for people that aren't good at trivia, they mix it up with. Uh, uh, what is the game that we play? Uh, it's like you you roll dice and you're trying to get like three threes and uh, I don't I'm even know. Just if imagining is a... Patrick getting fleeced by his new in laws like every year. They don't actually <laughs> nah, play man. these games. It's just Calvin themselves. Ball, basically. It's just yeah. yeah. I just okay. had third. I try again, son. I just Better luck 30... next year. We don't actually play these games. I just drink thirty bush lights and I just imagine. <laughs> Because you need 30 bush lights before it starts to hit you anyway. Oh, I thought that was one of the new rules for that game was, all right, first got to drink 30, 30 uh, <laughs> everyone gets bush a, lights. Everyone, everyone gets a, a case of bush light and a Crave case uh, from White Castle. <laughs> oh. And then you got to work your way through those, and then it's Wait, time to play the game. Is your wife? Is your wife's family a college uh, dorm room? <laughs> is, are they a fraternity? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm not making up the, the I am making up the crave case, but the bush light part. I have to bring my own other beer because otherwise, <laughs> all I drink for four days is bush light. Which, oh. granted, like 
you, yeah. the bush light component is important because everyone just starts drinking at like 11 a.m. Yeah. And so it's like you gotta have bush light or else it's you're done. You're done. So at like yeah. three o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> but like this is the actual problem is you know what's nice is being done though at three o'clock during a holiday is be like all right I'm gonna find a bed or a couch. Y'all wake <laughs> me up when it's when it's next dinner. Like. <laughs> I know we ate a big lunch that was actually like an aunt comes over to cook dinner at 2 p.m. for some reason. <laughs> and then like 7 p.m. is your real se- like second real dinner. Wake me up for that. I'll be good. Y'all have fun playing Yahtzee or whatever. God. Yeah, this sounds nice. Anyway. This sounds real Dan- nice. Danielle and Rob. Rob, y'all go play, ahead. I, gotta, play I have trivia? a story for this. So you go Ooh. ahead, Rob. I'm, I'm saving it. Uh, I used to like you know, play trivia with games like the Civil War quiz and fact book with my dad. <laughs> um, this is not surprising. Jesus, Rob. that but is the most Rob Zachney thing. Oh, my God. He asked a question that he did not feel anyone could possibly get, and then I, then I nailed it. What and was then the question? playing you, quiz games. Do you know what the question was? Yes. Uh, it was, <laughs> what was, uh, what was the most... Widely used artillery field gun of the U.S. Civil War, and the answer, of course, is smoothbore twelve-pound carriage. Um, of that's, course, that's who the could answer. Have, who could have not known? And then my dad threw the book down and was like, "I don't think I want to play this anymore." And I was like, "That's fair. That's fair, Dad." Did he just pick up a different book and start reading from that one and asking you questions from that? No. Encyclopedia no, of Birds or something. We just kind of retired the the quiz the quiz night. And Rob, Rob and his dad didn't speak never, never after that moment. <laughs> but then one day, Rob showed up outside of his dad's uh, apartment, and he was holding a smoothbore twelve carriage or whatever. <laughs> and it was like, I brought it for you, Dad. And now they're good. They're good again. Everything's great. Wow. <sighs> Tell us your story, Danielle. How many how many Civil War cannons are involved? I none. Uh, because my dad is a history expert in my family, but my family gets really ridiculously into trivia to the point where, you know, there were, there were many, many times where like 7.30 Jeopardy really was the time to, to run into the, into the family room and we would watch, but we, we wouldn't keep score, but we would yell out the answers and then we would have Mm -hmm. whole discussions for like who knew what better kind of thing like oh yeah you knew that right away because you took that class or whatever we would have right, like, a right, whole right. song and dance around it uh so we've always been like this always played trivial pursuit always played the jeopardy thing but for no points but once upon a time in walt disney world where i spent uh, a tremendous amount of my life um <laughs> there used to be a who wants to be a millionaire attraction like you what? would actually go, there was a Whoa. theater, and they would actually pick somebody. Now, the, the grand prize was not a million dollars, but it was like a Disney cruise. It was actually like a decent prize. So okay. it was like, all right, actually playing for keeps here. And once upon a time, I actually got into the hot seat. You have to play <gasps> the game along with, you know, it's just like the actual show. Instead of having 10 people at the bottom, though, it's like everybody's playing, and you're, you're scored right. on timing and, and the difficulty of questions. So it got up to a really tough question, and almost everybody was eliminated, but my mom knew what it was, and of course we'd cheat, so we're all like, you know, sharing answers. Uh-huh. Being a gamer, I had the, you know, the fastest hands on the board, so <laughs> I got into the hot seat, and I got really far, but I didn't win the cruise because I lost on a question about cars, and I don't know anything about cars. Do you remember what the question is? God, it was something about the type of touring car that's used in a particular type of race, and right. I... I just okay. had no idea. I, I did the 50-50 option, and I lost. 
but oh. you know why didn't you they, call me I would have. It was call a complete stranger was the option, though. It was no, no, 50 no. ask the audience, or call a complete stranger, which is some idiot that they had in, like, a phone booth outside. So, no. You know, I'm not going to call I a complete know. stranger. What? I wasn't going to do that. 50-50 seemed like the best option in that complete, case. All right. Here's know? the only time that I think call a complete stranger makes any sense is when it's something popular you don't know because you're a nerd like me. Right? Which is, like, yeah, if it's yeah. something about, like, the latest Marvel movie I haven't seen yet. Like, oh, who plays the so-and-so and this famous movie and like i don't i don't know i'm sorry i'm bad at this let me call someone who's seen things that take place in pop culture in the last two years and then like you call them <laughs> and they're like why are you so bad at this it obviously it's thor obviously or whatever and then you know, jeff goldblum duh and like oh yeah okay fine and that's the only time i would ever call a stranger i would never call them on any other fucking thing because you're never gonna find someone who's like a car expert just in just randomly right. Just walking Ugh. around MGM Studios, now called Hollywood Studios, but it was called MGM Studios at the time. Is MGM gone? Is there no more MGM? I think they just finished the branding. Like, they had mm. the agreement for the first 20 years or whatever. You know, gotcha, I don't know the gotcha, exact gotcha. thing, but. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I, I, I almost want to cruise. Sure one day, one day, I bet you'll win a, you'll win a cruise. I'm one rooting day. for you. I'll put my real skills, you know. To the there. test, yeah. The ships All right. come in. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yes. Good, great. I'm going to move on. Next next Matt question from the question bucket comes in from uh, Matt Volk, who says, before I pose my question, I wanted to say I admire and appreciate the good work you all do in the games industry. Thank you, Matt. Uh, he says, my question is concerning the hate and war that YouTube and Twitch creators have, have with game journalists and the outlets they work with. Both the donkey thing earlier this year and the, unru- the whole unreasonable debacle with Cuphead. I don't know if have you all been following the YouTuber backlash on Cuphead for the last two months over various things. Only vaguely. Okay. I don't know the details. Yeah. Uh, with Cuphead has brought more light to the issue that Gamergate has left in its wake. The disdain that game content creators have with game review outlets thinking they're wrong or they just don't understand games is unwarranted <clears throat> and it is a war they have created among themselves. I firmly believe that they can coexist, which brings me to my question. Do you think this quote-unquote war will change and if it can change, what needs to happen for it to change? Or is this something that will continue and will keep escalating? Again, thank you for all you do and I look forward to whatever you do in the future um thoughts i definitely think that it's going to continue to like it's going to be shitty for a few more years and then bit by bit these worlds are collapsing into each other um big business is going to get closer and closer and closer to and big media specifically to direct to consumer youtube style video uh, uh content and youtube style video content is going to become harder to do by yourself um as big companies begin to push into that marketplace um and increase regulation and make it harder for individuals to compete um and you know strike up deals like so like here's a here's a small thing that is the state of the world right now everything works on on kind of a wink and a nod a sort of a fiat around like streaming or around um you know game uh you know uh, doing game criticism on youtube where like you take gameplay footage all of that works because no one is suing anybody <laughs> um i can so clearly imagine within the next decade pressure being put on to independent youtube content creators uh, or, or to to begin licensing gameplay footage, um, and getting and, and needing to like 
spend money to not basically get sued into the ground or not get their content removed. Um, and one of the ways that I can imagine that happening is from a big media company saying, oh, actually, we're going to do a bunch of Let's Plays now. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go out there and make a new standard, which is we're going to start licensing footage. We're going to call up Square Enix and say, here is X thousands of dollars so that we can do a Let's Play of Nier, Nier the Near Automata 2, Near Automata. <laughs> and the, the like, once a, once a system like that gets put into place, I think what you end up seeing is like, a weird system of of more and more like uh, big streaming groups or big YouTube groups like the the Machinimas of the world, the Polarises, and, and all that of like okay, this is you're part of a collective that has licensing agreements in place and blah blah blah. I I just like it's so hard for me. Capital has captured so much. I don't know why it wouldn't capture Let's Play and Game Crit and YouTubers. Like it's 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 slow on the uptake sometimes but like it's so hard to see that not happening i'm curious when uh i feel like it's inevitable at some point you're gonna get like someone like a pewdiepie who has so much cultural and mm -hmm. following to split off and do their own thing like, like their own video like, platform basically. something like but yeah, yeah like uh be maybe not in their own video platform as much as just like their own personal silo of mm. of of content where it's like not necessarily that you're bringing other people under your wing it just I, YouTube is due for a reckoning at some point, right, like in right. so many different forms, and uh, you have to imagine there are you know folks with like, you know these tens of millions of followers. But then again, who knows how many of those to transfer over, right? Like, I mean, what's hard to tell is like how sticky are PewDiePie's right. fans? How sticky are are you know just because you have forty plus million YouTube subscribers? subscribers like, what yeah. is what is that actually? mean what's right? that like, look like actually um, yeah it's a lot it's, it's a lot easier for someone to just click on their new videos that are part of the subscribers than it is to like go to a website sign up then again if you got just a tiny percent like a tiny half a percentage of those people and they were really dedicated and they signed up maybe you end up making more off of those right. people than you would be making off of um you know having to kowtow to all of youtube stuff because a lot of the problems they're going to happen with uh, sort of YouTube legally in the future are going to be because you're using YouTube as a platform. Yep. Like if PewDiePie went and made his own video platform and there was like a bunch of legal stuff with licensing that came in on YouTube, my guess is that they're going to ignore the individual video platform because they're more interested in the larger, the larger YouTube plays, um, larger YouTube plays where they can just like plug into an API. Maybe. Though the, the other um, side of that is that platforms like YouTube and Twitch function as um, sort of standard bearers or standard makers in a sense right which is like hey there are thousands of people here millions of people here doing this um and that they don't all have lawyers but twitch has lawyers and twitch basically and i'm not like bigging up twitch here necessarily right like but what i'm saying is if someone wanted to sue uh uh to make someone stop right now, if someone wanted to stop a stream from happening on Twitch, the thing that would happen is they would tell Twitch, yo, stop letting this person stream this and Twitch would agree, right? Like that is the thing that, that is the current standard. Twitch would, would absolutely bend the knee to <laughs> any game publisher that said, don't stream that that's ours um, because they don't want to go to court. But if it ever came to court, Twitch is Amazon, right? And like Amazon has the money to go to court. Um, whereas I don't know if PewDiePie does like PewDiePie is rich. PewDiePie ain't Amazon rich, you know? Um, and so I'm curious. Like, I don't know. I don't – but also we're going to move into a world of more and more Patreons, more and more subscriber-based things that have video content locked behind paywalls where, like, it's going to be harder to have that stuff reported and seen very easily. Like, I don't know. I, I, 
I the 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 kind of proposal that I set up at the top of this question, I don't want to make clear. I like that isn't like the one way I see things unfolding. And maybe there is a better world. Maybe there is a world in which we do go to more direct to consumer models from independent people who you know, it's it's cheaper for you and four friends to do something direct to consumer um, than it is for a big company to do something with four or five people sometimes. You know, it's a conversation we've definitely had, which is like the benefits of being at Vice is we have this huge legal team. We have, you know, a lot of great editors who we can rely on to do high level checks for things. We are on Disney and we're not on Disney because the four of us on this call, <laughs> like, made, called what? up Mickey Mouse and we're like, yo, what if we did a show? Like, there's a whole team of people who help I you with that. That. I forgot that cruise. That was right. the problem. That's why. Yeah. That's why. But like, if if a if we did this separately, like, it would be just cheaper to make a video on the internet. You know, it's like it, it actually is lower overhead when you're not this big company. There's, there's bonuses. There's there's pluses and minuses for, with with everything. And so I am. I'm curious. I'm mostly curious to see how it all shakes out. My guess though is, my guess is you will see YouTube and and games journalism continue to collide in, in a really like frustrating shitty way and then blend together and then there will be another new division <laughs> that people will, will find and argue about on the fucking internet so yeah i mean I, I, yeah we didn't talk too much about the you know the sort of the big root of this question about sort of like the culture clashes between right sort of what's happening between those two worlds but i yeah i that stuff will probably just get uglier if I, yeah <laughs> if, I mean, I, if i if i i don't think it's being cynical i think it's being sort of just realistic if you're looking at um i mean it's it's like a, it's a there's sort of like a changing of the guard. There's a changing of power, and like as that stuff happens, like weird, ugly skirmishes as people like realign, like a realignment is happening, and like that stuff gets weird. Um, I, I, Ra- oh, go, ahead, oh, go ahead, Danielle. Go ahead. No, no, no. no go I ahead. was gonna say I remember like ten years ago, maybe even like to the day, being in a grad school classroom and having a debate about whether or not YouTube was an, an actual embodiment of like the the public forum of discourse and it's like most truest you know truest form possible and and how that could be and of course it was like a an organized debate um you know one team had to sort of argue for it one team had to argue against it and i will never fail to think of that whenever i'm thinking of like how stupid the future is basically <laughs> this, this, well, is, like, <laughs> this is the closest thing maybe possibly to a public forum uh that you know a, a culture of 7.5 billion people can ever have right right well like the thing uh, is that 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 phrasing or that notion of like the public forum suggests a sort of um it suggests flat... an equality that doesn't exist exactly it's just yeah. you know it, it, not only just an equality but like a a, a a transparency which is like in a in a, a public form of, of ancient greece you know uh, a politician uh, walks out into the center and says i have the floor now and i'm speaking that's not how youtube works that's not how facebook works nope. that's not how any of these platforms work everything is is completely uh opaque no one knows why certain content is being is being surfaced uh we know that it's about engagement we we know that it's about uh, people who view for X number of minutes versus Y number of minutes, but like everything is so opaque and 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 also oblique, right? Like everything is just like this weird, twisted algorithmic uh, system that changes every month, and and it's it's really hard to know who has the floor and why they have the floor. Someone was just pointing out on Twitter that if you do a search for and I this is this is I read this on Twitter, so who the fuck knows? <laughs> but when they did what they reported was that when they did a search for like. Um, guide guidebooks or, or 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 guidelines for recognizing what fascism looks like. Everything they found was like Alex Jones, uh, right wing, alt right, hard right, 
um, uh, media that that would be impossible to use to identify anything that like the alt-right or Trump is doing as proto-fascist or fascist. And like the, none, in other words, none of the, those resources were useful resources for what that person was hoping to be able to, to give to somebody else to, to help them kind of work out what they were seeing um, in, in the current administration. And it was really interesting to think about that, that like, yeah. it is not, you can't just type in fat, what is fascism to Google and necessarily get an answer that will help you answer that question uh, or a resource that will help you answer that question. Well, Google will, try to steer you into becoming a fascist. <laughs> like, you can be like, wow, this like Anita Sarkeesian woman has some uh-huh. interesting things to say about video games. I wonder what else. And then YouTube is like, so you want to hear about the feminist conspiracy to destroy your games, right? Yep. And you're like, I don't know. And YouTube's like, yes, we know. We know for sure. God. It's, it's, it's one of those frustrating things that is like, you want to imagine a world where you do have uh, a, a, a platform like YouTube where anybody's content could rise to the top, even if they don't necessarily have a ton of subscribers. But it's so hard to imagine what that algorithm would look like or like or, or like the thing it looks like is curation. And then you're you're left in the hands of people again who are going to be raising what they think of is as um, uh, good. And like, I don't know that I trust the like what a what curation looks like even at this point it's so hard to to know how to get to that public forum notion uh, again or, or or if that was always a naive thing because because were were the forms of athens even so equal no obviously yeah. not right yeah Rob? if you were a slave in athens you weren't going to get the forum of course right yeah. right or a woman right like you had to be or a uh, woman yeah. exactly <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, the thing I was going to ask you, Robin, unless you have something else to say, is I know that the esports scene has currently, like, I kind of think of the esports scene as being an interesting test bed for this because um, it is this, it is a place where big budget major corporations are intersecting with the the kind of uh, flailing lived culture of online gaming um, and like, oh, this is a huge sponsored event with millions of dollars behind it, and also there are accusations of someone strangling someone uh, or something, you know, like those events happen yeah. uh, and are not, and are caught up in a rhetoric that often dismisses any criticisms of the space or, uh, and not just dismisses them, but dismisses them in this very esportsy way of like, this is just the culture, man. Like, this is just, you don't, you weren't here. You're not really part of this space. What do you, how does all that fit in with this? Do you think? I think it's really of a piece. Like, I think this entire notion of there being this war between, let's say, like, new media versus, you know, mainstream or traditional media, a lot of that war is kind of being one-sided, and it is being sort of talked up because it is very self-serving for the people who sort of promote that narrative Uh. to continue to promote that, right? Like, the people pushing that have reasons to sort of deflect the conversation into this us-versus-them uh, you know, we, you know, us nerds, people like you and me who, who share this background and understanding, we created our own thing. And now mainstream media is trying to get in here and tell us how it should be, right? Or tell us that we should, we should change things or we should grow up or we should be less racist or sexist right, or, right. or we should stop being such right. fucking edgelords. But that's just because <laughs> they're scared because we're the future and they're the past. And it's, you see this replicated across a lot of different spaces, and I do think esports is one of them. And esports, I think, is it's complicated by the fact that there was genuinely for a long time a legitimate stigma 
against the validity of the idea of having video game competitions as being something that people would watch and enjoy and, and, and see as like a worthy test of skill. Mm. Um, and so there, there, there was that sort of protectiveness around pr- protecting the space from being dismissed and disregarded in that way. And then there was a sort of related to that, uh, but, but I think it was sort of intentionally manipulated as well, sort of that nerd victim narrative mm. uh, that you see across uh, gaming culture in a lot of ways, also in esports, where like, in addition to some of these like legitimate grievances and concerns about the way esports was portrayed by people who did not familiarize themselves with the space, there was additionally an effort made to insulate people from criticizing things that, that absolutely were a part of the space, right? Right, right. Uh, there, was, there was a tendency to sort of conflate those two things. You know, that somebody saying esports aren't sports or something like that was the same as somebody saying it seems like there's a lot <laughs> of sort of like implicit misogyny in right. a lot of esports discourse, in a lot of esports conversation, in a lot of esports spaces. And the response to both of those would be the same, right? That, you know, shut up. You're, you're, you're not in the scene. You don't have a right to speak on this issue. You don't know what you're talking about. But the former is sort of demanding people educate and understand the thing they are criticizing. The latter is insulating certain types of people from being mm-hmm. held accountable for their actions. And it serves the interests of some people to blur those conversations and make an entire community like drop into a defensive crouch uh, around you know around yep. them, and they're sort of sheltered by sort of a group, a collective dispense, defense response. But yeah. they are separate issues. And and I think we should be capable of of you know treating them as such. Right? I I it's so frustrating because I don't know. Maybe this isn't true for people listening or for y'all on the call, but like. I still haven't fully lost that old response that I had in, let's say, high school or early college of, of finding out someone else plays games or is into nerdy shit. And like, oh, wow, we have a vector of connection here because <laughs> for so long this was a dead zone. Uh, I, I went I was uh, I was talking to uh, a barista at a Starbucks over the weekend, uh, this guy who, who you know, I've seen him for two and a half years i've lived in this apartment for two and a half years i go to the starbucks nearby i go in he's like we're like on friendly terms you know it's it's it's, a, it's one of those situations um and he was like i was like oh how you been blah blah blah, blah. and he's like oh I'm, I'm trying to save up money for a laptop i gotta have eight gigs so i can play games i was like oh i didn't know you played games like what do you what do you da, da, da. and he's like oh i play some overwatch i really want to replay amnesia i'm like oh word amnesia that's like like it's not like the deepest cut but it's a pretty deep cut he's like oh yeah man like i play games i watch anime and I'm like oh i had no idea and like i could feel the grin coming across my face like oh man maybe like this is cool we're gonna have conversations about games and then like three seconds later i was like oh no like what are those conversations like like and it's frustrating because there are that that connection should be genuine as genuine as or or should not feel solely necessarily um in the same way that when a person says they like books by the same author as me or or they like reading in general they like reading fiction or for you rob like someone if you meet someone who's like oh i really love reading history i really love history like we should not have to maybe we should have to maybe we should be going into those those conversations more critically but i i am nostalgic for that that feeling of when i was younger when that felt like okay, we have common ground here. Um, and 
that 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 feeling was naive, right? Like that feeling was was completely naive, and was um, it twist. It has been twisted into some of the worst parts of these communities, the most insular parts, the parts that are the the most interested in gatekeeping and the most interested in defining themselves through consumption instead of through analysis or through play or through any of the actual things that make up the thing you love uh and it's just it's it's so exhausting um and so critical that we figure out how to hopefully maintain that first thing you said the notion of like insisting that people who want to talk about these spaces and these games have mm, not even some familiarity but are are acting in good faith let's say yeah versus the sort of like gut defensive reaction of like no 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 this is mine you don't get to fucking touch this thing which i see again and again and again both in esports and then and then in gaming writ large and not just in gaming writ large right like in politics in nerd culture in i mean it's 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 part of this yeah it's part of this larger conversation that's happening right now um yeah i don't know it is it is it is a lot What's shocking to me, just to make a quick aside, is how how much nerd culture has become the mainstream culture, right? Especially if you're looking at film in, in any aspect, and yeah. how much that narrative still persists. It's genuinely confusing to me. Um, Everyone needs no the uh, the Simon the Simon Peck essay about nerd culture and yeah. being yeah. a late capitalist conspiracy that we we <laughs> should all have tattooed on our chests in reverse ink, uh, so we, we see it in the morning. Uh, can you can ready. you can you let people know what that what that is uh, if you haven't run across it? Uh, yeah. So uh, again, like real quick Google terms to 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 hit uh, Simon Peck nerd culture late capitalist conspiracy. It will take you to the right place. But it was basically him talking about. Uh, sort of using as a point of departure, he'd made some remarks, I think, about either Star Trek or Star Wars, but basically, like, he'd taken some flack for what was perceived as being denigra- denigrating of, of nerd culture. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, I was speaking off the cuff, uh, so here's here's what I will say about nerd culture with a little more consideration and respect for it. And then he basically unloads his thesis, which is that nerd culture is a late capitalist conspiracy <laughs> to turn your consumption uh, into like a political act almost mm-hmm. or, an, or an act of identity. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a really on the nose uh, observation. And the reason I brought it up is because Danielle and I, I think talk about this essay once every three, three or six months uh, yeah. because, because <laughs> it is so relevant. Uh, but the, you know, it, and I, I think it's a key observation about what nerd culture became. It really did stop being, I mean, if we're, if we're being really honest, it kind of stopped being underground the moment Star Wars became the biggest movie in history, right? Like, but it maintained this notion that, like, well, if you're really into Star Wars, if you really liked Star Wars, you are somehow other. You're part of this, like, underground community uh-huh. of people who enjoy the largest entertainment franchise like of its generation like it was it was sort of like patent it was like laughable on its face right but i certainly believed it i was like oh yeah you know me i'm the wacky star wars nerd and it never occurred to me that like yeah there's like out of a country of like 260 million people there were like 50 million star wars nerds right uh and yet like you were successfully convinced that being into that stuff made you a nerd made you other um and that was kind of bullshit, but it was sort of useful for turning your outlook, uh, turning your engagement with these with these brands, with these consumer goods, 
uh, into something less transactional and more emotional. Mm. Which is fucking dangerous. Which is dangerous, which is like, which feels necessary at the time if you are feeling ostracized or if you're, if you, I, I often think about this as a failure to educate us on ways to connect with other people, like a failure of social education, of, of, of emotional education, um, yeah. especially for young men. Like, like I, I'm not dissing my parents here. Like, I, I love my parents a lot. My parents did a good job with me. I, I think that they were always fair with me. They were always, like, um, interested in me and, and in, in helping me become a, a better person. But it was difficult to find resources to learn how to connect with other young people um especially uh, both young men and to anybody right like because the only lessons that i had were behaviors i observed and you often observe a behavior as a young person without really understanding what that behavior is or what the context is and so you're kind of like building a puzzle of yourself and and how to interact um through a bunch of stuff and so then you see like that motherfucker likes Star Wars. I wonder who his favorite, you know, who, who their favorite bounty hunter is because this is my, like, cheat code to becoming friends. Like, this is the easiest way. And I'm not dis... Like, and I made a lot of good friends that way. Yep. Um, but on the way to that, like, it was so much easier to connect to friends over Star Wars, over the Philadelphia Eagles, over all of those other things. And I have so many keen memories of friendships where someone really needed me to be there for them in a different way. And I'd never been trained for it. And I think that's just part of being a young person to some degree. So I don't think this is like, and that, and that's why star Wars is bad. Actually. Like I'm not <laughs> all in on that shit, but oh. I do wish that there were resources and, and I do do wish that, there, that I hadn't used it as such a crutch um, for early friendships. Um, and my best friendships to this day are the ones that started that way. And thankfully we were in it together enough and I had enough support and enough other resources available to learn how to be there for other people and not reduce things down to pop culture and to our shared interests or to build, you know, to build those connections beyond uh, those things. Um, also, quick note, Simon Pegg, of course, is going to be playing a, a, a major character in uh, uh, Ready Player One. So, you know. Oh. God damn it. Shot oh. chaser. They're uh, you, oh, ah, that's got heroes. more to do. With, that's got more to do with Spielberg than it is. With yeah, him of course. To be that's in, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't say no to, to being in a Spielberg Yo, movie. Yo, Spielberg right? called me up and yeah. said, "Hey, you want to be in Red Player One?" <laughs> you guys, I, I want to. I want to tell you, I would go be in Red Player One. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That's it's Steven Spielberg. Spielberg has some serious bill-paying skillage. Yeah, I'm just gonna. <laughs> oh my god! Fuck you. Uh, <laughs> last question, and we'll hit this very quickly. Matt Hutton says, your discussion of the X-Wings High Fighter series brought up many memories for me as a preteen. And this actually, this is like literally the thing we were just talking about. Holy shit. Uh, Your discussion of the X-Wings slash High Fighter series brought up my memories to me, uh, many memories for me. As a preteen and an early teen who was obsessed with Star Star Wars, I played through both the X-Wing and TIE Fighter series, uh, but what eventually held my attention for the most was X-Wing versus TIE Fighter. I was 13 when it came out and ended up in a clan, role-playing as a hotshot Imperial pilot on message boards and ICQ while playing many, many games of uh, X-Wing versus TIE fighter on microsoft game zone oh microsoft game zone what memories however once oh. i was once i was done with that game i never really got on to into online multiplayer gaming again until uh quite a lot until playing quite a lot of destiny sure i dabbled with playing all kinds of games online but i never ended up remotely that far down the rabbit hole if you'd ask me to make uh if you'd asked me a handful of years ago if i was into multiplayer games i'd have given a firm no but the fact remains that once upon a time one of them was a huge obsession. So I, so I get to the question. Uh, what type of game or area of gaming have you once been all about, only to fall off of it or not revisit it for a long time? 
uh, or perhaps the realization that you did such a thing without even realizing it. Um, P.S. While Googling uh, X-Men vs. TIE Fighter, I found a very good article on the series on Rock, Paper, Shotgun by one Mr. Rob Zachney. Fancy oh. that. Cheers, Matt Hutton. Uh, so any of you have like a thing where like you were all in on it as a kid or when you were younger, and now you just haven't even touched it in a long time? Yeah, man, RPGs. Yeah, oh. fair. I mean, that's, uh, I mean, I, back when I was renting games or, you know, I yeah. wanted the thing that gave me the most, like, I was that per. I was hashtag content when I was a kid. Right, like, because right. you had limited resources financially and I had all the time in the world to, you know, like, the idea of having, like, summer vacations are fucking weird. Like, the idea that you get three months, three months to do whatever the fuck you want, that uh-huh. doesn't make any sense. That's that's wild. And so, yeah, I was I was deep into, you know, I basically, I played so many shitty RPGs on the Super <laughs> Nintendo. Right. Like, uh, like Tecmo was like Quest for the Seven Stars or whatever <laughs> that game was called. Like, there was definitely a game that was something like that. Like, I got to the point where I'd go to Blockbuster and be like, I guess I'll play Chrono Trigger again. Right. Like, right. like, I would just go to the RPG. Like, I would just flip the boxes over or, like, bring a Nintendo Power with or right. a GM or whatever. But, like, what are the other RPGs? Like, I was like, I guess... I mean, that's, you end up finding games like Breath of Fire, and you know, I found series yeah. that I thought were really cool. But I basically was like trying to maximize time, and maximizing time was in getting RPGs. And uh, that's like that. I get why people still like those games. Like, yep. There's all sorts of like financial reasons to like be into hashtag content. Um, but that well, because I loved the, that those types of games so much. It has always been like the, the the genre that I essentially outgrew. Other than the times when I just like like buck up and I'm like, okay, I'm like I'm gonna play one of those. Yeah. Um, uh, like I wish, like <laughs> I wish there were like two. Like I wish there was a version of, of Xenoblade Chronicles X that was like, yo, the one for adults. Right. Which I'm not trying. To, I'm not saying that in a denigrating way. I'm just saying like like if there was like a streamlined version of that, it's just like, hey, like you're gonna power level. And we're gonna get get rid of like all the right. side stuff and like we're just like. I I miss those games. They're just not made for me, and I've like made my peace with that. Where I just you know I played twenty hours of Persona Five, and as much as I tell myself I'm gonna go back and play that game that I really liked, and I want to play the rest of it. Like ah, like that's probably not gonna happen. Yeah, the, um, the one for me is like I'm desperate to play the the Trails in the Sky, uh, like the Legend of Heroes games, which I hear are fantastic, but they're mm-hmm. all forever long. <laughs> and I yeah. just like and I hear that they are. I hear that those are the games that like narratively are for people like you and I who want like more complex stories and characterization that is actually like on the foreground instead of just like little like subtextual background bits. And I just like I'm n- I'm never gonna find the time to play these fucking games. <laughs> ugh, ugh. Yeah. Anyway, uh, what about Daniel and Rob? Is there anything that you have? Yeah, I had I had a thing like this with fighting games when I was yeah totally when I was much younger. I wonder Um, if that was just our whole generation. What were the ones that you played? It might have been. It really might have been. I I mean, like at the time, you know, I'm talking SNES and maybe like Mm -hmm. early PlayStation. Like I played a lot of I think it was Tekken Three. That was the like '90s one. It was '98 or so. I remember being in eighth grade and playing a lot of Tekken Three, and I remember being much younger and playing. 10 shitloads of Mortal Kombat (laughs) and like a little bit of Street Fighter for sure as well Mm -hmm. but there was just a a sort of um, cartooniness and a colorfulness to those games even though I was like a platformer kid that was 90% of what I was really really into and that's what really Mm -hmm. scratched all the itches I really I I know it sounds nuts now but like I liked those characters and those weird worlds and I and I liked you know kicking the crap out of other weird characters (laughs) from weird worlds and I and I like 
Lord, help me. If I tried to pick up a fighting game right now, I would just be destroyed in seconds. Like, it's yeah. like it feels like a lost to be, art to me or something. I used to be obsessed with every new Tekken game because yep. I loved going i loved playing every character and seeing the cg ending 100 yeah. it's like oh like i like, incredible like, i could play i could play as a tiny dinosaur and he's got his own ending too yep. holy shit yep. totally those are like that was it for me like that era of early 3d fighters of tekken of soul caliber soul blade like i soul blade especially which which is like my secret one of my secret probably one of my secret top 10 games if i'm talking about pure emotional love um uh, because Soul Blade had, on top of having the like, one, it had incredible like intros and endings for each character. That had interactive endings. I've talked about this probably recently, I think, because the the endings like literally had button prompts that you were secret that you could learn how to put in at certain points to get the secret good endings. Um, or in some cases, they were like actually interactive, like the whole thing with Mitsurugi. Spoilers for PS One classic Soul Blade. Uh, <laughs> Was that you? Your his whole thing was like, I'm gonna prove the sword is better than the gun. And so you you get Soul Edge. You have to find a weapon that can beat a gun. And you get Soul Edge. You 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 get it, and you go back to fight the the shitty dude at the end. Uh, and he, or maybe you toss it away because you know it's evil, and so you're not gonna be corrupted by it. And you go back to fight the this guy that's like, I have a gun. My gun is better than your sword. And it puts you into a first person mode where you have to like sidestep to dodge a bullet and then run at him and hit an attack button to kill him. It was great. So I loved getting those, but then it also had the like. Like you know, edge master mode or whatever the one, the one where like you have a bunch of you have like a world map that you're exploring with with your character, and then you get bonus weapons that have different attributes and stuff, and they will put you on like all right on this fight you're on a raft and you're poisoned, so your health is steadily going down. And I just like fighting games that fighting games like that were designed for me, someone who like occasionally played fighting games with friends, but mostly spent Saturday morning for four hours just like working through these huge story modes or unlocking, you know, new new characters by, you know, trying to because like all those games also had the thing of like, oh, well, if you beat the game without ever losing once, you get a bonus character unlocked. Yeah. And it's like, all right, well, I know what I'm doing for the next six weeks. Like I'm gonna unlock all the characters. Um yeah, I, I was totally, totally in a fighting game kid for that reason. Um, Rob, what about you? Is there anything that you you've left behind in the past? Uh, left behind, there are very few things I've like totally walked away from and left them like burning behind me. Uh, <laughs> but I used to be, I think, far more into like military themed like and like war themed games and sims uh, mm. than I am right now. Uh, like, you know, I told that anecdote about, like, you know, do, do, going through a quiz book about the Civil War and shit like that. But, like, that was kind of what I grew up on. Like, I loved reading about military history and, and games about it and all this stuff. And it sort of goes to what you're speaking about. Like, at a certain, like, at, a t at the time, you're in, you think you're into it for these reasons. And you think the people who share these, enth these enthusiasms also share your outlook on them. Right? Right. And... It's because you haven't really encountered enough people who are like are part of that same tribe. Uh, you haven't, you know, you, you haven't really like sort of gotten to know your community all that well, and and you you sort of assume a lot uh, based on naivete. So I used to be into a lot of this, um, and I think what started to change things for me is probably the Iraq War. If I'm being honest, mm. like before. Before 2003, like, I could really uncritically enjoy, you know, some of the stuff I was reading, writing about in the Call of Duty piece, right? Like, I could enjoy the shit out of Band of Brothers. Uh, I was 
into every single Call of Duty game that was coming out. Um, and then, you know, as as that war sort of like went on and th- the, the politics around it got more toxic and the idea of the troops sort of trumping any sort of like critical engagement with politics yeah. or, or even strategy, like does this even make sense? As that began to sort of like get twisted... It was harder and harder to, harder to deny that, like a lot of these things that had made popular entertainment, out of sort of the the trappings and history of, uh, you know, military history and militarism, uh, were having an effect that I hadn't properly appreciated. Right, mm-hmm. like that there was that there was sort of a, uh, what you know what, what what Troy Goodfellow would call like a hidden curriculum, mm-hmm. uh, in in a lot of that material that I that I hadn't come to grips with. Right. And over time it became harder to ignore the fact that like a lot of people that I considered friends and like fellow enthusiasts uh were in fact like actually really fucking scary to me. Right? Like I used to be a prolific poster on <sighs> wargamer.com. Yeah. Right. And by two thousand seven it was like edging dangerously close to becoming like a stormfront uh like forum right? right like there were there were there were liberals on that there were there were a lot of like liberals on that on that forum uh but also a number of them would get banned for doing things like you know criticizing for speaking up for pushing back against like you know jokesy bigotry mm-hmm. and the same like the, the same rules were not applied to people from the other side of the the political debate but bigger than that was just this idea that like this this hobby we'd all shared and these these frames of reference we all shared when you sort of scratch beneath the surface of that we were coming to them for very different reasons mm-hmm. right like there were people who were playing civil war sims not because they found like it was a it was a fascinating conflict with a lot of like you know brilliant battles and really like lots of thorny tactical dilemmas there were people who were genuinely into that because like for them, the idea to walk in Robert E. Lee's footsteps or Stonewall Jackson's footsteps <laughs> right, right. is like walking in the footsteps of Christ. And like when you realize that and when you realize like that you're sharing that with these people, you kind of start to feel icky about the entire goddamn enterprise. Uh, and you kind of start to wonder about like wh- who or what your enthusiasm is really ser- serving uh-huh. uh, and what it might be concealing. And I'm still look. I'm still into this stuff. I do like I do a winter of wargaming every year and all this shit. Like, right. I still love a lot of the shit, not the way I did before. I am skeptical in a way I wasn't before, um, and I like a lot of the conversations in that community uh, less than I did before. Now I kind of have to enjoy this stuff a little more privately because I know what I, me and my friends are getting out of these games. I know right. the conversations we're having. This broader community, I won't vouch for them. Yeah, that's me and anime. Hmm. The end. No, but like it <laughs> uh, it is to some degree. Like, I think that that's true for a lot of a lot of these subcultures and a lot of these like a lot of genre work in general which is like Oh, I grew up like like I you know it's it's one of those things that's that's tough is like so I'm I am literally in the middle of rewatching Outlaw Star, which is this nineteen nine late nineteen nineties uh, sci fi anime that is like it's it's like off it's like a little off brand Cowboy Bebop, but this is, what I'm about to say is true for Cowboy Bebop too to some degree. Um, it is like 
Outlaw Star is like deeply misogynistic uh, mm-hmm. and and like absolutely homophobic. Like I had a character in a uh, in an episode like two nights ago, um, and yes, I'm watching the dub. I have the dub on in the background while I'm doing other work. Uh, who is like the entire pitch on the character is or, like, on paper the pitch of the character is really good, which is he's an arms dealer who uh, just took o- who is like taken over a branch of the family's uh, company who uh, and is like overshadowed by his father and is trying to like outsell with his division what his father's division is selling uh and also he's in love with the main character who is this like intergalactic bounty hunter guy um and that his love of that character of of the main character his his like queer love is con- is just constantly like 100% framed as pathologic and dangerous um there's a sequence where he like basically tells like a 13 year old like i can't wait until you're five years older it's terrible it's like really fucking like it's gross and terrible and like also i'm still enjoying myself besides these things that are fucking terrible like it is still a very stylish show it is still a show that is um that that has really that does have some really rad uh women characters and it does have some like really cool setting stuff and and character design and machines and also i will never in my fucking life go to bat for it and like that is the the weird thing about coming into a knowledge around this stuff and 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 maybe it's a good thing of like that separation that we talked about wanting to see inside of gaming communities that like you go from being I am this thing to I like this thing and it has some issues and it's okay that it has some issues and when I'm making things I'm going to not have those issues right like uh, I, I do friends at the table every week where there's a there's a sci-fi story that we're doing right now I'm taking some stuff from Outlaw Star like the clear inspiration one of the things I'm not taking virulent homophobia <laughs> right yeah. uh, and I, it's like the best we can do is to not pretend that those issues are there um, and when those issues are really, really, really substantially bad and, and foundational to the work, like, for me, it's like, I do my best to, like, choose what I'm spending that time on and, and seeing stuff that I, um, seeing stuff, playing stuff that I know I'm missing a perspective from or, or wouldn't wouldn't see otherwise. Like, it is why I love that we do those free play games, um, uh, because every week, you know, at the end of the week, I'm like, oh, let me look through those and see if there is something that there's a perspective or there is a creator whose voice is just nowhere in the big picture conversation um, that instead of just like forcing my way through Xenoblade Chronicles 2, <laughs> Xenoboob Chronicles 2, I'm going to like spend some time playing a game from a queer creator who is like actually interested maybe in, in uh, you know, what uh, uh, body horror looks like when it isn't just boobs bigger than the rest of your entire body. Um, yeah, I don't know. It is. It has been a weird thing to grow up, is what I'll say. Um, and I'm always doing it more. Always just in this process of like thinking about our histories and our tastes and like recodifying what it is we do and what it is we like. Um, anyway, we could go on forever, but it is late in the day, so we should call an end to this podcast. I remember like 20 minutes ago, I was like, ah, I'll do it for five minutes, and now it is 20, it is an hour and 30 minutes into this podcast, so. <laughs> and I got some uh, stalker shout of Chernobyl to play. I fucking hate you. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, uh, Danielle, you weren't here last time. No. Uh, I don't know if you listened to the podcast or not, but we pitched the idea of, in early 2018, doing Zombie, uh, another game <laughs> from years ago, yeah. a.k.a. Zombie, Zomb- U. Zombie U. It's the same, it's the same, on PC. I know, but... Yeah, I know. You're right. It's, it's more it's more well known. Yeah. Zombie U uh, as the next game for our uh, uh, Waypoint Rate or Waypoint 101. Um, I am I am ready to commit to that. If the rest of this podcast is ready to commit to that. All right. Is I'm it, is it waiting go. on my vote? Is that what the? 
I, I, you know, I wanted everyone to sleep on it. I was was waiting for everybody to sleep on it and give it to Mafia 3. I mean, I'd be cool with Mafia 3. That's the problem, is I would also be cool with Mafia 3. Yeah, no, 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 sorry. I retract. And the yays have it. The yays have it. Well, it's good. you're playing on your own. <laughs> let's do, I'm out. Let's do Zombie U, uh, and let's aim for week three of the new year. That is my. That is what I'm doing for an episode. Uh, by week one, we should have a post-up that says how far in we're mm-hmm. playing. Uh, yeah. But if people want to start playing now, that's why I'm giving you the heads up. If you're like, oh, I'm done. Uh, people who aren't on this call want to start playing now. <laughs> we should do that. Uh, and, you know, Maybe you don't get the gifts you want over over the holidays, and you're like, man, fuck this. I'm going to go play a real game, like Zombie U. Uh, it's just letting you all know we're going to do that. And I'm aiming for third week of January for, for uh, the first episode of that. Kind of- Austin says it about Waypoint 101. You can take it you to can the bank. You can take it to the bank. Listen, <laughs> listen. We made that last one, and we did it kicking and fucking screaming. So we, we did uh, it, I'm going to say it. Yeah, I'm aiming for, for January 17th for the next Waypoint 101 episode. January 17th. By, okay. by hell or high water, with or without me. <laughs> it might just be an empty podcast. It might just be There's two hours there. of silence. No, um, me and Patrick have got this if if it comes to it. But right, yeah. exactly. No, I definitely want to do it. And then, like the other thing is, like this gives me time to maybe during that holiday week or the week after or something to do some streams of it too, which would be which would be fun. So that's fine. All I right. mean, I'm I'm okay with you know our prey waypoint 101 being later next year. I'm fine oh, later that. next year we'll wrap back around to play prey for that. the fifth time. Mm-hmm. Uh, for it'll for be my fifth time. Yeah, we're now doing uh, 35. Hour games is, is Waypoint 101. Uh, we all have to be speedrunners now. Yeah. Waypoint 101, how to speedrun prey. <laughs> um, all right, we should do that. I'm Austin Walker. Find me on Twitter at Austin underscore Walker. Uh, follow everything Waypoint does at twitter.com slash Waypoint, facebook.com slash Waypoint Vice, twitch.tv slash Waypoint, youtube.com slash Waypoint Vice, and of course, waypoint.vice.com. Danielle, where can people find you? You can find me at Danielle RI on Twitter. Rob Zachney. You can find me playing State of Decay. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't revisited that in a while. And Seems Patrick, topical. And Patrick Klepek. You can find me at the Mafia 3 Zone on Twitter. Oh, the Mafia 3 Zone. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, join my web ring uh, at, at <laughs> mafia.zone. I have, a lot, I have a lot of under-construction gifts on my page, too. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, wait, hang on. Did you guys see that the CompuServe forums are apparently still up, but they're going to go offline this month? Oh, no, I didn't. We should, we should dig through those and find some good posts. Yeah. Yeah. This is a good story. This is a good this is good hashtag so, content. Let's, let's find some uh, computakes. Please some, find some computakes. Thank you to Bowen for letting us use the track Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. For more on that, you can go to waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. And as always, you can talk to us over at the forums at discourse.zone. Until later, I'm just going to say, Danielle, take us out. Be good and be good at it. Peace. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. 
Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.